Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word in the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and share it with others. Well, we have come to the end of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, and the four Gospels all end with the empty tomb and the risen Jesus. Um, it's powerful, uh, powerful to think about this. I, just as a note before we get into the text, it's just interesting to me to see how the gospel writers do this. Uh, they, they don't, none of the gospels actually record the resurrection event itself. They, they, they record the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and then there's this Sabbath day in between. And then they record Sunday morning, but they don't record like, and then Jesus came out of the tomb and, you know, like they record the appearances, the, the empty tomb. And so as yeah. we're reading, we're kind of, it's this drama of yes. the tomb is empty. Wait, what? Like, and of course, if we've never read this before, is that w- what's happened? And we are left with the same kind of evidence that they would have had because nobody saw the resurrection happen but they saw the risen Jesus. And so yeah. it, it's just cool to see how the gospel authors do this. Yes. Mark, of course, he's, con- he's trying to convince us that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Mark 1, 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And so everything Mark's been talking about has been leading up to this point of, of the crucifixion, the burial that we ended, off re- uh, we ended up reading last week at the end of the le- uh, podcast, and then, of course, the resurrection. And so uh, that's what it's all leading to. And so uh, I love that, that the gospel writers put, our, put us in their shoes or in the eyewitnesses' shoes so that we can learn what happens. So we right. can go ahead and jump in uh, this, this afternoon or this morning or whenever you're listening to this. Uh, we're going to go ahead and read Mark 16, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, And Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You were looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. All right, so Sabbath day is over. You've got the women, uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and um, Salome or Salome, some pronounce that. And they they have bought uh, spices. They're coming to anoint the body of Jesus. Yeah, and let me just note two things real quick. One is that uh, 
we don't have a lot recorded on that Sabbath day, uh, basically nothing recorded on that Sabbath, but just thinking about the disciples, like how awful that Sabbath day would have been um, that they have been putting their whole lives into following Jesus. And I think largely their concept was like, Oh, he's not going to die. Like he said that weird thing about him dying, but he talks in parables all the time anyway. So like they didn't understand, <laughs> you know, what was going to happen. They all fled and now he's dead. And, and nobody is expecting what happens next. They're coming to the tomb, not to say like, Oh, Hey, Jesus was supposed to rise today. It's the third day. So, you know, let, let's go check it out. No, they go to the tomb expecting to find a dead body. That's why they're bringing the spices. And that, that Saturday, that Sabbath day would have just been gut wrenching for those who had followed Jesus. It's hard for us to appreciate that because we know the end of the story, but, um, that uh, would have been a hard, hard day for Jesus' followers. But thank God for Sunday um, when they arrive at the tomb. Yeah, and we'll learn what was going on with them on that first day of the week in just a little bit, where they were clearly mourning and weeping and sad about everything that had gone on. So um, these same women that come to anoint the body of Jesus, they had already got a mention back in chapter 15 in verse 40 and 41. Uh, they, they had been looking on from a distance as, as Jesus was crucified. And they had also been paying attention uh, whenever Jesus was buried by that man named Joseph of Arimathea. And so they knew where Jesus was. And so they knew the tomb. That's a really important fact. They knew where it was. And once they get there to anoint him, it's early. It's on the first day of the week. Um, and I love how Mark includes for us, they come to the tomb when the sun had risen. Uh, I, I think it's only in our English language that that would be a pun, but it, it is cool to think about the, the sun being risen. And then of course the son of God has risen. Um, but Mark tells us that it was early on the first day of the week. Stephen, what do you think the significance of that is? Well, they don't record what day things happened on very frequently at all. If you do like a Bible search for the second day of the week or the fifth day of the week, like it just doesn't come up. There's a few th times where they'll tell us that this happened on a Sabbath day because the Jewish leaders were always after Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. In their minds, breaking the Sabbath. Man, they, they were really after him about that. They really were. Um, but here it's the first day of the week. And that comes up in all four gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell us that Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And that is what we'll see in the book of Acts becomes the Christian day of worship. Um, and that was a huge change. Something fundamental happens on the first day of the week because the Jews up to this point, uh, of course, would gather at the synagogues on the Sabbath day. That was their day of rest and their day of worship. And uh, this is a fundamental shift. And it makes sense because the significant event that happens on the first day of the week is that Jesus conquers the grave on Sunday morning. And that becomes the focal event of Christianity. Everything else, if Jesus had just died and not risen from the dead, we probably wouldn't even know who Jesus was. Right. Um, there were lots of other Messiah movements that people claimed to be the Messiah and they rose up and then they came in conflict with the government and they died. 
and they stayed dead. <laughs> that was the end of that. And their followers dispersed, but Jesus yeah. doesn't stay dead. Yeah. At the end of Acts five, there's a man named Gamaliel who'll, who'll make a very similar point that Stephen just made. You know, there's people all the time who rise up and claim to be someone, but just like all the other times we put it down. And so Jesus, of course, no one was able to put this story down because he had risen from the dead. I mean, that, that was different from anyone else and from anything else in history that had ever happened. Uh, the other thing that I think is cool, of course, um, of course, the world just celebrated what we call Easter Sunday uh, not that long ago. And what's cool about that is Jesus rose from the dead in the springtime. We know that as a fact because we know when when Pentecost is and we know when the Passover was and all that good stuff. And it's just something cool about there being that being the time of year where things come to life. Uh, things that had been dead start to have life brought back into them by God, of course. And that is the time of year that Jesus rose from the dead uh, was around springtime. Yeah. And this is why Christians assemble on Sundays, by the way, uh, if you look into the book of Acts and, couple other places as well, you'll see some emphasis on the Christians gathering on that first day of the week to, to take communion and to um, join together in, in song and prayer and other things as well. And it's because Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week on Sunday. Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, you can find those references in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Uh, Luke will record that they got together to break bread on the first day of the week. And in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, Paul talks about uh, the Corinthians taking up a collection for the needy Christians in Jerusalem uh, and that they're to, you know, gather that up every first day of the week. And uh, again, there's not a ton of references about that, but if all four gospels say hey, it's the first day of the week and then it comes up as like, hey, that's when the Christians got together. That's a powerful thing. Again, they don't usually mention uh, when different healings or different things happened, but they mention uh, this and this connection to the first day is significant for us. So the women come to the tomb and they're of course wondering, man, when we get there, there's that stone that they put in front. Like, how are we going to move that thing? It's huge. <laughs> and they get there and it's already been rolled back. And they see this young man dressed in a white robe and they're, my version says that they're alarmed. Um, and he says, don't, don't be alarmed. Uh, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Now, this isn't just kind of like some spirit coming back from the dead that like they saw the ghost of Jesus or something. No, like his body is gone. And here's this, this angel we take to be clothed in white garments and saying, look, there's no more body. He, he's out of the tomb. Like he's risen from the dead. Um, and uh, I love the invitation here. Uh, go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Jesus had said this multiple times. I'm, I'm going to be killed and I'm going to rise on the third day. Yeah. Remember, that's chapter 831, chapter 931, chapter 1032 are the three times Jesus warns that and tells him that he's going to die and be killed. And I love the fact that Peter gets a shout out here in verse 7. Go tell his disciples and Peter. 
I think we mentioned this on a previous podcast, but this is just so significant after what Peter has done. The last time we saw Peter, he had just cursed and sworn that he never knew Jesus and he broke down and wept. That was the last verse of Mark 14, uh, verse 72. And now Peter is given a, a personal invitation. Go tell the disciples and tell Peter that he's going before you to Galilee and there you're going to see him. Uh, you almost would have thought it would tell the disciples except for Peter, <laughs> but no, uh, tell the disciples and, and you make sure to tell Peter to go meet Jesus in Galilee because Jesus still has work for Peter to do. His story is not over. Yes. Amen. Um, and so Peter gets a shout out there and, uh, but the women respond in, in a way that, um, I think I would also respond. Uh, this is kind of weird. This is not what you're expecting. The women run out of the tomb. They run away and they don't tell anyone uh, because they were so afraid. And I think it was back in episode six where we talked about fear and faith. Um, we talked about a couple of different people who are motivated by fear. And it might be possible that this is resurfacing here. These women don't say anything because they're afraid. They don't know. Um, what to say possibly, but they don't say anything at first. Yeah. And this is a, at first they don't tell anybody because they will go on to tell people. But again, we just take the resurrection for granted. But when you go to a tomb expecting to find the body of your loved one and they're gone and there's an angel and they're saying he's risen from the dead, like this stuff doesn't happen. And so their initial unbelief, their initial shock at what happens is actually helpful for us because if you were writing propaganda and making up a story, well, yeah, you'd have everybody say like, Oh yeah, Jesus did what he promised to do. Yeah. But this is how we would expect real people to react to a resurrection. Like they're, they're freaked out. <laughs> they're like, what's going on? Um, and they're scared. Oh, this is strange. What is happening? Um, and we'll see similar reactions here in just a minute from the other disciples. Um, I'll make a, a side note here as we get into Mark 9 and following. Your Bible might have some kind of note in it uh, that talks about uh, the manuscript differences here, that uh, when you go back to like the earliest copies of Mark, there's some differences. Uh, some of them don't have the last few verses of Mark here. Some have a different version. But there's nothing really much to worry about there as far as it doesn't change any of the story. And what we're going to read is in what's in the majority of the manuscripts, um, of the later manuscripts. Um, and so we're going to read uh, verses 9 through 13 together. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, Mark 16, 9. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. So it's kind of interesting. We have two accounts here of Jesus appearing to people. First to Mary Magdalene. Um, so of course they'd come to the tomb initially and right. didn't see anybody but the angel. 
But uh, we have actually more detail about this in John's gospel, where Mary is behind and she sees someone, she thinks he's the gardener, and he says, Mary. Mm-hmm. And she says, Rabboni, you know, my teacher. And uh, the cool moment there. And of course, she's had seven demons cast out of her. Yeah. Not, special not one, not two, but seven <laughs> demons inside yeah. of her. I mean, that's, that's terrifying. Indeed. And so Mary goes and tells the disciples and they, what were they doing when she goes to them? They're weeping and mourning. Uh, this kind of goes back to what Stephen was talking about at the beginning of the episode with the Sabbath day before, man, it would have just been a solemn and sad day. Um, I mean, if they were mourning and weeping on the next day, on the resurrection day, on the first day of the week, imagine the type of mourning and weeping that was going on the day before that. And so, yes, clearly they, they are still distraught over what has happened. I mean, your, your rabbi, your, your Messiah, your Christ, your everything, your entire life for the last three years has just been crucified on a cross and you left them there to die. You didn't go with them. Like you said, you would, uh, this is an emotional day. They're dealing with emotions. I, I, I have never dealt with, um, but she goes, Mary does, and she tells them that Jesus has risen from the dead. But in verse 11, they refuse. I don't know what the ESV says there. They refuse to believe it. And they would not believe they it. it. They would not believe it. I don't believe her. Yeah, and again, they're, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of reaction we would expect from people who don't normally see dead people come back to life, especially after three days. Um, they're not quick to believe even the eyewitness reports. And I think that's what's significant here. Jesus is going to rebuke them um, for their unbelief because they need to listen to someone who says, it's not just like, Oh, like I had a dream and Jesus came to me in a dream. It's like, no, no. Like I saw him. He, and it wasn't not just even, I saw an angel who told me he had risen, but no, I saw Jesus. Like I was there. And, you know, I touched him. He spoke to me like it was Jesus in the flesh. Um, This is not just a hallucination. And so we have, you know, another appearance that Jesus has uh, in verses 12 and 13. And we, if you want to read the full account of this, you can read Luke 24. It's really a cool story about this whole conversation Jesus has with these two people who don't even realize it's Jesus until the end of the conversation about all the things in the old Testament concerning, (laughs) I wish I could have been uh, there on the road with them, but um, they go back and tell the rest, but they don't believe them. So they got multiple eyewitness accounts of the resurrection coming back. And again, I, I understand like, listen, like I realize there's multiple people saying this, but like that this just doesn't happen. Like, don't get my hopes up. Like I, he's rising from the dead. Really? You know, I understand where they're coming from, but what we're going to find here is that Jesus expects them. Hey, you you need to believe the eyewitness testimony Um, because really that's powerful for us because that is what we have. We're, you know, a couple thousand years removed from this, but we have the eyewitness testimony, the record of the eyewitnesses saying, I saw him alive. And we're going to see these people, many of them, go to their deaths 
saying, I saw him alive and I will not recant. I, this has changed my world. It's changed my life. Um, this is the Christian message that Jesus is risen and he's Lord. Yeah. Amen. Absolutely. Well, do we want to go ahead and read verses 14 through 20? Uh, let's go ahead and read that and we'll, we'll wrap up Mark. It says, Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed in my name. Uh, or who, who, excuse me, who have believed in my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. So Jesus appears to the 11. Um, so this is his third um, appearance that we're reading about. They're reclining at the table. Uh, my mind immediately goes back to the last time they were all reclining at the table together. And Mark just tells us pretty, pretty bluntly that Jesus, one of the first things, according to Mark, that Jesus does is he reproaches them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Which, by the way, Stephen, I, I understand that. Like, they had reputable sources coming to them, telling them that Jesus had risen. Mary Magdalene had been ministering to Jesus for the years he had been ministering to others. They knew who Mary was. Um, I, I'd imagine they knew who these other two people were as well. And so Jesus does get after them for, for their unbelief and not listening and not believing those who had told them that Jesus had risen. Yeah, there's going to be a similar rebuke that Jesus gives to Thomas, kind of famously known as Doubting Thomas. You know, unless I see the print of the nails in his hands and touch his side. Um, and Jesus says, because you've seen him, you believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. The thing that the vast majority of humankind has not had is a personal, physical encounter with Jesus. But what we have is the eyewitness testimony. And that is what is preserved for us through things like the gospel of Mark and the gospel of John and Matthew is we have the accounts and the words of the people who saw Jesus. And so we have to be willing to put them up on the witness stand and say, okay, let's cross-examine these witnesses. Do they have reason to be lying about this? What is the circumstantial evidence? What's going on? And to draw a conclusion ourselves. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Everybody has to grapple with the empty tomb because even the enemies of Jesus, like the gospel of Matthew are saying, well, the disciples stole the body. And you have to kind of think through the different options. Well, if the disciples stole the body, then they knew he didn't actually rise from the dead, but they went on to die for that. Why would they die for something they knew to be a lie? Well, if somebody else stole the body, all you need to do to stop Christianity is produce the body of Jesus you can produce the body of Jesus, the whole thing is dead in its tracks. And so if you start to walk down, we could really do a whole podcast, maybe we will at some point, um, on the evidences for the resurrection. 
then you start to realize like there is no good alternate explanation for this to explain the eyewitness accounts, to explain the tremendous shift. Uh, again, even like the switch to the first day of the week worship to explain the behavior of the disciples, the, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus in the book of Acts. There are tremendous historical events that are without good explanation except the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his appearing to these people. And I love what happens here is he appears to them, he rebukes them, but then he gives them a new mission. And he says in verse 15, I want you to go into the whole world and tell them the good news. And it's cool to me how, how Mark is bookended with this. Uh, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ is verse chapter one, verse one. And now the very end is you need to go and tell everybody this good news, which is really what the gospel of Mark is doing. <laughs> it, it's, it's being written down and it's, this good news is being taken into all creation. Here we are on the other side of the world, 2000 years later, that thank God people did this. <laughs> they took the gospel out and we are standing on the shoulders uh, of people that going all the way back, whether to the writings or to the people themselves have believed the message. That's a beautiful thing. Yes. Amen. The, the apostles, um, of course, this is what Jesus has been training them for. This is what he's been trying to get them ready for is for this moment where he is going to send them out into the whole world to preach. And that's of course what the book of Acts will cover. And also in specific, Jesus will say in verse 16, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who is disbelieved shall be condemned. Um, I think this is obviously in the context of what he's telling his disciples, what they need to be preaching and what they need to be teaching and doing. Um, if those who want to believe in the good news of Jesus, for those who hear this message, they need to first believe that Jesus is. They need to believe in the resurrection. They need to believe that Jesus was here and did the miracles and did all the many things that we read about in the Gospel of Mark. Um, that, that's crucial. Another word for believe um, is trust. Um, and so you need to trust that these things happened. And then, of course, it says that those who are baptized will be saved. And Lord willing, we will spend some more time on that uh, in, a, in a future podcast. But the word baptized literally means to be immersed. Um, I think sometimes there's a lot of confusion over what that word means. It's one of those words that we say is transliterated. So if I were to say this word in Greek, it would be baptizo. And so our English people just took that word and made it an English word. But the word literally means to be immersed or to be dipped or plunged. And so I think the implication here is to be baptized in water, to be immersed in water, which we'll talk about in a future podcast, what that means. Um, but if you want to come to Jesus, you need to believe in him and you need to be baptized and you will be saved from your sins. But those who disbelieve, those who refuse to believe that Jesus rose or believe that he was, they're going to be condemned. Um, straightforward words from Jesus there. That's right. And again, this goes right back to the beginning. There's so many connections back to Mark chapter one in this at, at the end here. Um, that's exactly what John was proclaiming uh, before Jesus is he was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And that's what it means to be saved. <laughs> saved from what? Saved from the guilt of your sins. Um, 
And so it makes sense that Jesus would be telling people now with an even greater significance that you need to repent and you need to be baptized to be saved for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, we'll see that in Acts chapter 2 and all throughout the Gospel of Acts. If you want to see more about this, just, just read the Gospel of Acts and look at the conversion accounts and see what people are doing. And he mentions in 17 and 18 as well that for the disciples, the 12 that he's sending out, well, the 11, they'll appoint a 12th in Acts 1, that they're going to have signs that accompany their teaching so that people will believe the message. And um, he'll say this actually in verse 20 as well. The, the Lord is going to work with them and confirm the message with accompanying signs. Because again, the New Testament hasn't been written yet. And as they go out and proclaim this message, they have the eyewitness testimony of the resurrection of Jesus, which is powerful in and of itself. But the other thing that's going to show people that they're really from God is the miracles that they were able to do in those days to confirm the message. Again, we've made this point throughout our study, but the miracle confirms the message. And that's absolutely true as Jesus sends them out and gives them uh, these kinds of signs to perform. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Jesus, we're told in verse 19, um, is received up into heaven. He sits down at the right hand of God. It's, of course, the ascension of Jesus. We'll talk more about that once we, Lord willing, talk about the book of Acts eventually. Uh, it'll record the ascension as well. But that is where Jesus goes, is in, into heaven. And that's where he sits, and that's where he reigns now. That's right. And they go out. They go out and preach everywhere, which, again, you read the book of Acts. Uh, this is the rest of the story. But before we leave Mark 16, I just think it's so important to emphasize the significance of what we've just read. The resurrection of Jesus cannot be overstated in its importance to being a Christian. If you want to follow Jesus, this is the event that changes everything. The death of Jesus is critical, but his resurrection is what brings the whole thing together. And there's a whole chapter in the New Testament really devoted to this topic of resurrection. I just want to read from that uh, as we wrap up here. 1 Corinthians 15 is this chapter where... Um, there were some people who were being swayed by the culture of their time to stop believing that people rose from the dead, anybody, and including Jesus. But what Paul's going to say here is that this is critical to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. First uh, Corinthians 15, um, I just want to read like verses 1 through 11 and talk about this, um, the significance of this. First uh, Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, 
Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Yeah, so you got Paul here. There's our word gospel again. Uh, the, the good news which I preach to you. And it's kind of a few elements here, but number one, he says, which you received, which you stand, in which you were saved, and if you'll hold fast this word that I preached to you, unless you believe in vain, and you're like, okay, what is it? What is the gospel? What, what is he talking about? He's talking about the fact that Jesus died for our sins, the fact that Jesus was buried, but ultimately in verse 4, the fact that Jesus was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Paul goes on to give us a bunch of eyewitnesses, too. You've got Cephas, of course, it's Peter. Uh, you've got the 12, all the 12 of the apostles. Um, you've got 500 brethren. You've got James. You've got all the apostles. You've got all these different people here. And then, of course, he appears to Paul as well. Stephen, what's the significance of that? Why is Paul telling us about all these people? These are eyewitnesses. And I love the fact that with the 500 brothers at once, again, with hallucinations, you can might get one or two people having a hallucination, but 500 people at once, not, not what happens. He says that most of them are still alive. They have the opportunity that they can go and ask these people and say, did you see him? <laughs> um, and again, because Paul's preaching to Corinth here, uh, fairly removed from Judea, the area where these things happened. But they can ask the eyewitnesses. They can say, listen, this is true. This is a historical event that changes the world. And he goes on to say this in verses 12 through 19. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain? And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true, that, are not, that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And again, I'd, I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter. We don't have time today to, to do all of that. But just to see if Jesus did not rise from the dead, this whole thing falls apart. It's crazy to think about. Um, he, he says in no uncertain terms, uh, if Jesus wasn't raised, you're still in your sins. Like there's no forgiveness. Um, and there's no hope of seeing the people who passed away. We believe that because Jesus rose from the dead, one day he will raise those who've trusted in Jesus and we'll all be together again. Yeah. Amen. Well put. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and we'll stop there for today. Um, thank you everyone for listening next, next week, Lord willing, we're going to do a bit of an after show of the gospel mark. We're going to talk about what, what does all this mean? What does this gospel mean for me now? You know, 2000 years later, uh, what does the resurrection mean? What does baptism mean? What does it mean to believe? We'll talk about all that in some episodes here um, after we'll, we'll zoom out and look at the gospel of Mark as a whole. So we hope you can join us for that. Yes. Thanks so much for listening today. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe, rate, review. 
Um, if you'd like to tune in for our online Bible studies, you can find those at capitalcitychristians.com. I'm changing those up a little bit each month. And if you'd like to reach out to us personally, 717-585-0949 or email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.